You're listening to the Diary of a Head Teacher. This week I've been thinking about the relationship between work and well-being and considering how schools work together with parents. The relationship between work and well-being has been on my mind a lot this week. One of the things that I inherited upon beginning the role were the results of the staff experience and well-being survey carried out in the summer before I began. This survey was incredibly detailed and has provided me with a number of helpful insights. Questions included, how easy or difficult is it to stay on top of your work responsibilities? How often do you see that your feedback to the leadership has impact? How often do you feel overworked? In the past three months, how often have you considered resigning from your post? How easy or difficult is it to get support with your mental and emotional well-being? How satisfied are you with the performance management or appraisal procedures in your workplace? And many more other useful lines of inquiry. One of the best things for me about this survey is that I've been able to read it with a fresh pair of eyes. And also, I know that I don't need to take any of it personally because it all reflects on things that happened before I started. This can often be an issue with any feedback we receive, as we're always drawn to the things that need improving. We also find ourselves trying to guess who might have made the comments and discrediting the ones that we disagree with. One of the common themes to come out of the survey was that staff felt overworked. Many reflected that they didn't have enough time to complete their responsibilities and would often work late into the evenings or at weekends. One person commented that they struggled to feel off-duty. A comparison could then be drawn between staff feeling overworked and demotivated. However, in reading through the more detailed comments shared, it became apparent that it was not necessarily the number of hours worked that staff took grievance to. It was more where work either did not have a direct impact or where staff were working hard and felt that this wasn't being recognised. In terms of work having an impact at school, I guess we feel most justified spending time on things that we then see have a direct correlation to pupils' learning or their behaviour. At times in education, this can be quite difficult to keep up with. At previous schools I've worked at, a large emphasis was placed on marking. This meant that teachers spent a long time after lessons had finished reviewing learning that had taken place and writing comments and next steps for children. This was then amended with a new philosophy where the focus came on feedback. So rather than spending more time after the lesson reviewing learning, teachers were then expected to spend more time directly speaking with learners about the learning that took place as it took place. If immediate feedback or questioning changes the course or the path that the learner is taking in a positive way, this is one thing that can reduce workload and improve impact because no longer are we spending time marking for a long time after the lesson's finished, but also the product that we've replaced this with is having a higher impact. Something that I'm keen to dedicate time to with staff in the coming weeks is looking at an impact versus effort matrix. 
This is where we're looking for things that have high impact and low effort, rather than having a low impact with high effort. High impact and low effort, I guess, would be thought of as the holy grail, offering quick wins. Similarly, high effort and high impact could be worth spending time on, and these are our longer term projects. An area that was mentioned time and time again within the survey was performance management. And it was clear that this system wasn't working to motivate staff. Since beginning my role around a month ago, I've taken quite a cautious approach to change. I think when you begin somewhere new, there can be the temptation to jump in and change things as soon as you arrive. Perhaps there was a system that worked particularly well in a previous workplace and you try and emulate this. My approach to the power is centred more around observing and watching what is going on to try and work out what things are effective and where change might be necessary, but equally where change would have the greatest impact. Analysing the workload and wellbeing survey as a whole has led us to identify a few key action areas, one of which was adapting the performance management cycle and others pertain to things like communication, relationships with leadership and workload in general. I've worked with staff to identify a number of possible solutions and action areas with focuses on things that we can do and the impact that we hope that these will have. Next summer, we will then be able to see whether these adaptations have had a positive impact on responses within the workload and wellbeing survey. Working with parents has always been an aspect of school life that I've really enjoyed. I don't think I've ever met a parent who didn't want the best for their child. And so in speaking to somebody who has this viewpoint, there are some really valuable insights that you can gain as a school leader. Sometimes parents will share frustrations and whether these are in email form or in person, the tone can either be kind of unkind, nasty, kind of aggressive. Uh, and so I think this sometimes leads teachers or school adults to think that there isn't a message there and that the parent sharing it has kind of crossed the line. However, something that I've found is the frustration itself, I guess, can be offset by, you know, the fact that we've said they're reflecting on a circumstance where they feel that the most important or the most precious thing to them has been wronged or that the way in which you as a school um, are working to sort of either teach or support or guide their child hasn't matched up to what they're expecting. I find that when this happens, I try to unpick or hear the message that's beyond the frustration uh, to try and determine whether there's something there that we can act on or whether if several parents are saying the same sorts of things, there might be a message within that that we can learn from. I remember, for instance, during the pandemic, a parent saying to us that they felt we were putting the staff's well-being ahead of the pupils. Now, what was interesting about that was that I felt within that there was a bit of a compliment. And as a senior leader, something I was trying to do was, uh, you know, put the staff first in a lot of our considerations to make sure that they were okay so that they could deliver the best lessons they could, but also that they, you know, felt 
kind of motivated and looked after during you know a time that nobody could have foreseen and nobody really knew, knew what to do with. But equally, I guess I had the full picture and I knew the extent of you know things that we were putting in place for for all of the pupils to support their well-being. But also, I knew how hard staff were working behind the scenes to promote pupils well-being so I guess what kind of came out of that message was that even though we might be doing lots of things uh, and taking lots of things into consideration some parents weren't necessarily seeing that or or feeling that their child was benefiting from that and so where we'd had maybe sort of targeted support or targeted interventions for people's whose well-being we had been kind of concerned about, we perhaps needed more of a sort of whole school approach or or ways of showing that everybody's well-being was important and that things were being put in place for all of the children, even if they weren't necessarily presenting with well-being or mental health issues or concerns. So I guess in that way, you're putting in place a system where you assume it's important to have positive steps for everybody so that they don't fall into a negative kind of state of mind or uh, feeling their well-being drop. A couple of examples from my most recent school are that we've had some kind of complaints from neighbours and parents around uh, where parents are parking when they drop children off or when they pick them up uh, and also some kind of feedback around parents sort of smoking outside the school gates and that being something that a lot of parents have disliked. Now, I guess for me, it's thinking, right, these are two things that I'd like to resolve, but learning and understanding the history of the school, I know that they're not going to change overnight because I know in the past, heads have attempted to tackle sort of traffic issues and parking issues and perhaps had sort of short-term changes to this, but in the long term, not a lot has happened. And this has, I guess, led me to reflect on a number of kind of different areas. On the one hand, you could assume a negative. So you could look at the parking situation and say, okay, parents are deliberately parking where they shouldn't so that they can, you know, kind of be as close to school and sort of save themselves time in the morning. Or parents are ignoring the fact that they shouldn't really smoke outside schools and are choosing to, you know to do that even though they realize that it perhaps aggravates other parents and staff and children and things or and this is what i've kind of chosen as a sort of longer term approach is that if parents are parking for example on double yellow lines or in front of people's driveways the message that they are sending us is that it's important for them to get their child to school. So they are parking as close as possible or you know, reducing the distance that they need to walk so that they can be there when you know in time for the school gate opening. And really they're saying that there isn't enough adequate parking for those that have to drive. So it might be that they're going on to work somewhere or that they live too far away. And with parents that are smoking, you know, something that I've kind of reflected on is that perhaps the message is that there isn't somewhere nearby the school that is a pleasant enough place for them to socialize so once they've dropped their children off they you know enjoy having conversations outside of school um, and they happen to be smokers you know whereas 
you know, potentially if there was somewhere where the council, for example, had, you know, injected either money or kind of um, love into the local community, there might be a, a place where people might enjoy sort of socialising with each other uh, and some of them would happen to be smokers and, and that's where they would go. And so I guess it's something that I've come to recognise in my sort of first few weeks in this new post is that the responsibility I have extends beyond the children and to that of the local community. And I guess in raising the profile of the community or ensuring that you know the council or people that are responsible for the, the kind of local streets, the local parks, in making sure that they recognise that we as a school want our area to be as kind of pleasant and welcoming as possible, they'll hopefully work together with us on longer term solutions that will continue to make the school site and the area surrounding it as kind of inviting as possible to the school community. Mm -hmm.